Amen, amen. All right. Well, we are in a series called On Mission. On Mission. We have a mission. Jesus gave us a directive before he ascended into heaven. After he shared his life with us and then gave that life so that we could be reconciled to God, he resurrected and gave us a call, a mission that every follower of Jesus is responsible for today. He told us to go and make disciples, to build the church in Jesus' name. It's the responsibility of the church to carry out that mission. At the gathering, we've clarified it like this. We exist to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. That's the journey that we're all on and that we find ourselves on uh, one of those steps. Every single one of us somewhere on that pathway, we can identify where we are. And sometimes we move all around that pathway. We take a couple steps back. We move a couple steps forward. But we are all moving down this pathway to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And as a church... Our mission is to follow that path and do those things and to lead as many others to do that as possible. And it's not done by just one person or the select few people you see on the stage. The goal of the church was always that this would be all of our role. All of our mission, a body of Christ, all of us gifted differently and used differently in order to move people closer and closer to his dream for the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service. All of us so that the body of Christ may be built up. This mission is our responsibility. And the enemy's great aim is to derail us from this mission, to distract us and to keep us from advancing the kingdom of God forward in our cities and communities. As we begin this new year as a church, it's time for us to get on mission. This vision that we have, uh, know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, make a difference, it's written all over the Bible. We can see it in, in different forms all throughout the pages of Scripture. But one of the first places that we see this process turn up, this promise turn up, is in a very important promise that God gave to Israel while they were in captivity in Egypt. There's a promise God makes in Exodus chapter 6 that he reiterates a few times throughout the course of the Old Testament. When Jewish people celebrate the Passover with Seder, the Passover feast, they have four cups of wine. And each of those cups corresponds to a part of this promise. And it's from these four cups that we get the four things that make up our vision. Let me show you. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. This is the Lord speaking. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God is promising that he is renewing their, his relationship with them. He is going to have relationship with them. In the Passover, this is called the cup of sanctification. We say, no God. Second, he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Notice that once they are out of Egypt already, he says he will free them. They call this the cup of deliverance. 
we say find freedom. This is what we're talking about today. Then he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. They call this the cup of redemption. We say discover your purpose. And we're going to talk about that next week. Verse 7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is called the cup of praise. And we say, make a difference. Last week, we talked about leading people to know God. Today, we're talking about finding freedom, the second part of this promise. Finding freedom is a process every single one of us has to go through. It's a process that many of us will have to revisit more than once. First, we see God saying that he's going to bring them out. He's going to get them out of Egypt and into relationship with himself. And after they are out of Egypt, he said he is going to free them from slavery. This is intentional phrasing. We see this same phrase structure in the original Hebrew text of this promise. Every time it reads that they will come out of Egypt and then they will be freed from slavery. First, we enter in to a relationship with God. We come out of the life we have been living and into His presence, and there's no qualifiers or steps for us to take before that. But once we know Him, it is time for us to find freedom. And I want to talk about why finding freedom comes second. The Israelites were slaves for 400 years. For 400 years, they were sub slaves to the Egyptians. And if you want the story, after 400 years, God steps in and miraculously rescues them from slavery. And if you want to see more on this story, I would recommend The Prince of Egypt. The music is phenomenal and the story is almost right. Just as God promises he's going to do in Exodus chapter 6, he miraculously rescues them from slavery. But in that promise, he says he's going to free them after he brings them out of Egypt. Now let's talk about why. It's because God knew that their hearts would remain in slavery. Even after God brought them out of Egypt through plagues and miracles, their hearts would turn to slavery again at the first sign of trouble. Even though they were out of Egypt, Egypt was not out of them. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. They have left Egypt after the 10th plague where the angel of death and the spirit of the Lord moved through the, the capital city in Egypt and the people of God were spared. They've left and now the army of Egypt is pursuing them. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They are fixated on the past and overwhelmed by the trials of their present and of their future and their hearts will not let them embrace the miracle of their freedom. They are now with God. 
The very same God who just freed them from Egypt with ten plagues. And if he could do all those miraculous things, surely this army would be no problem for him. But their hearts were all wrapped up in fear. Moses says to them in verse 13, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today... You shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. These Hebrew people had a wrong view of themselves. They were thinking as though they were still in bondage, like they were still alone. They acted like they were still in slavery. Sometimes, so do we. Just like them, we need to find freedom. And the incredible part about knowing God is that first promise is is that there's no qualifiers to know God. You don't have to hit a to-do list. You don't have to check the boxes before you can enter into a relationship with Him. You get to enter into a relationship with Him exactly as you are right now in this moment. He wants to enter to relationship with you. We get to know God first. We receive our salvation. But after we receive that salvation, we still need freedom. Because just because He accepts us just as we are, doesn't mean He wants us to stay that way. Salvation happens in an instant. But freedom is more of a process. This first cup, this first step in the process, knowing God, is described in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are entirely and completely saved because of what Jesus did on the cross and with the resurrection. All of our salvation comes from that moment. But look what the same author, Paul, says here in Philippians chapter 2. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions When I was with you and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. This is the same author. His theology does not change from Ephesians to Philippians. What he is trying to help you understand and me understand is that our salvation is free, but freedom requires work. That even though we've been saved, we now have to work out that salvation through fear and trembling. That we have to do the work to get free and to be begin to look like followers of Christ once we are followers of Christ. These things go together. Finding freedom is a result of salvation, but it doesn't happen automatically. You got to work for it, just like anything good. Authentic community, spiritual growth, practicing the ways of Jesus, and finding freedom all require a lot of hard work on my part. Paul says God gives us the desire and the power to find freedom. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. We have been given the desire and the power, and we have to take the initiative to do the work. We all need freedom. When we enter into this relationship with Jesus, we are coming out of bondage, 
out of slavery. And so that leaves us with some baggage, doesn't it? It's like when you've been in a relationship for a long time, dating someone or married even, and then it ends. When you enter into a new relationship after that one, you bring some baggage with you, don't you? You bring some past habits, some hurts, some hang-ups into that new relationship that have to be dealt with. It's the same when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. We are leaving a relationship with our flesh, a relationship with the world behind us, and we are entering into a new relationship with Jesus. And we're bringing some baggage with us from our former relationship. And we got to find freedom from that. Usually when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, or even well after, if we get stuck in this phase, we need freedom from one of three areas. First, victory over sin. Uh, and sin is simply defined as the bad choices that we make, the, the things that we choose to do that bring us further away from the will of God, the selfish decisions, the fleshly decisions, the things we know are wrong and the things that we try to paint into a gray area. It's habits and addictions and attitudes. Often we feel the conviction of sin, especially habitual sin, but then we feel too deep in it, too ashamed about it to do anything about it. And so we feel stuck and we feel trapped and we feel enslaved to this sin. And sin is a powerful master. Sometimes we even get numb to it, so used to it that it doesn't even bother us that much anymore. We've justified it for so many days that we've convinced ourselves it's not that bad, it's not hurting anybody, it's not that big of a deal to begin with. And then we read something convicting in scriptures, or we try to pray, but we can't get our mind off this thing, or the pastor talks about us on Sunday and we, we're pretty sure somebody told him what we're going through. And we realize that we want to shake it, but then we feel like we can't. The Apostle Paul had this understanding as well. Romans chapter 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Freedom is available to you even when it feels impossible because of what Jesus has done in your life and the power he's made available to you. But there will be a lot of work between here and freedom. All of us can relate to the way Paul feels as he writes this passage. Sin can feel like an overwhelming weight that we can't shake off. But we can be free of sin if we commit to doing the work to find freedom. Second thing is this. Healing from wounds. We need to find freedom from our wounds. And wounds are simply defined as negative events that have happened to us that stay with us. Oftentimes, it's a result of what others do to you. Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it is. But either way, it's destructive. Rejection, 
the force. Negative experiences with people, tragedies, betrayal, hurt, words, wounds. We have an enemy in the devil. And the devil is looking for a foothold. And the open wounds that we just go through life with in our hearts, give him one. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. When we hold bitterness in our hearts as a result of our wounds... It gives the devil a foothold in our lives. And in that space, bitterness will blossom and grow and put down roots. And that bitterness that we allow into our hearts will consume us, control us, and lead us to sin. For many of us, the pain of our past is limiting the potential of our future. Until you get freedom, until you get freedom from these hurts, freedom from these wounds, you will never be able to step into the purpose that God has for you. And the third thing that we need to get freedom from is this, authority over the enemy. Your enemy wants you to believe that you will never be free. He's been whispering lies in your head since you were small. And when we begin to know God, he whispers those lies louder and louder and louder than ever. But these words no longer have to have power over us. Many of us are trapped in our problems and in our past, not because of sin or wounds, but because our enemy, the devil, is keeping us there. But God has declared that he has no more authority over you in Jesus' name. God has authority over him and has granted that authority to you. You have to learn how to use it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are at war and the things that feel like chains wrapped around you are put there and held there by an enemy that God has victory over. You can declare that victory in Jesus name. We can find freedom from the lies of the enemy and we can learn how to stop giving the authority over our hearts to him. We just have got to learn how to access that authority. And that takes time. In all of these areas and more, we need freedom. If there's four steps laid out in front of us, know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference, too often we get stuck right here at the second one, tripped up on it. We leave Egypt, but we let Egypt stay in us. We keep acting like we are in chains when the locks have already been turned. 
We keep acting like we're in a cage when the door is standing wide open. You do not have to live in bondage to your sin and your pain anymore. In Jesus' name, you have been set free. You can't discover your purpose if you remain in the bondage of your past. And so how do we accomplish that? How do we get on mission to lead others to do that? I want to give you two ways that we can accomplish this, spiritual and practical, but I need to give you a qualifier. And that I can boil finding freedom down to an easy two-step process for you. I need you to hear me tell you that this will be anything but easy. Finding freedom is hard and difficult work. Each of these steps, for some of us, it could take days, weeks, months. For some of us, it could take years. But it is a battle that you do not have to fight alone. It is a battle that you can be equipped to fight. And it is a battle that is always worth the fight. And so we will push to find freedom even when the process is hard. First thing that you need to do to find freedom is to feed the Spirit. You need to feed the Spirit. First, we're going to talk about the spiritual. And I've got some good news in here today because it is not all up to you. Praise God for that. We all consist of two parts, our flesh and our spirits. Our flesh is our bodies, our wants, and our desires that are connected to our physical life and this physical world. In Genesis chapter 2, we read last week, it says that God formed the man out of the dirt of the earth, that you have a physical body with physical desires, physical wants, physical needs, and you are also made out of flesh. He formed the man out of the dirt of the earth, and then it says that he breathed his breath into him. That word breath that we see there in the beginning in the, in the original text is the same word for the Spirit of God that hovered on the waters in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit of God is placed inside each of you. The image of God is alive in you through the Spirit of God. But ever since Genesis chapter 3, our flesh and our spirit have been at war with one another, just competing to see which would be stronger and which would win the day. You were created with a spirit inside of you. And when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the spirit of God indwells you, lives within you, and unites with the spirit he placed inside of you. And there's power there. But the rest of you has to catch up. Our flesh can only be influenced by the power of the spirit within us if the spirit is stronger than the flesh. And that only happens when we feed the Spirit. If we only feed our emotions and only feed our physical bodies, they will overpower the Spirit within us and lead us to make the kind of decisions that lead us to deeper bondage. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I have never mentioned this from the stage, but for the last three years, as you can tell from looking at me, I have been doing CrossFit. Now, I know you've been wondering, 
How did our pastor get so strong? Well, now you know. I also have just broken the record for the longest amount of time anyone has done CrossFit without talking about CrossFit. And so I hope that somebody writes that down and takes note of it. Early into that process, as I was getting into the gym, I was finding that I wasn't seeing the results I wanted to see very quickly, and I I was tired just every single day like it was the first time I had ever done it. And for months, I was sore, and it felt like these things would never end. And so I went to one of our CrossFit coaches, and I said, hey, listen, I've been doing this for a few months now. Is there ever going to be a day where I don't wake up in physical pain? Am I, am I ever going to start to see a little bit of progress from this? I'm trying to look like Chris Hemsworth from the last Thor movie. What's taking so long? And his first question was, John Mark, what did you have for dinner last night? To which I said, cheese dip. What's wrong? It was a great dinner. I enjoyed it. A few days ago, I set a new record at the Wild Wing Lunch Buffet. What's the problem here? And then he began to explain to me about how my body can only grow through what I feed it. That if I want to see progress, I've got to put the right kind of things into my body for my body to then transform into pure raw power. I've got to be able to take in the right amount of protein for muscle growth, the right amount of carbs for energy. If I want to recover, I've got to have all the right diet in place to recover well. What we consume determines how healthy we can be. And this is true for our bodies, and it is also true for our spirits. You cannot strengthen a spirit that you are starving. If you are starving, your spirit, it will atrophy, and it will will not grow in power and in strength. You can't find freedom on your own accord. You need the power of the spirit of the living God that lives in you. And if you don't feed it, it won't be strong in you. You have been feeding your flesh your entire life. You are used to it. It is easy for you. It's what we all want to do is give our bodies, our physical needs, what we desire. But we have got to learn to have a mastery over feeding our flesh and to be consistent in feeding our spirits. You cannot grow one without starting to have control over the other. And strengthening our spirit happens by feeding our spirit. And you got to feed your spirit in a number of different ways. I think you have to do three different things every day. Now, if you've been fasting with us, maybe you're just skipping breakfast or skipping lunch or you're not eating from sunrise to sunset. Maybe it's become really clear to you that your body needs food about every two to three hours. Maybe that much has been obvious to you. Maybe you've never realized that more. I'm, I'm, in my hardest time when I'm fasting is essentially about one hour after breakfast time. I, I, I realize how weak I am. I realized that when I first started the spiritual discipline of fasting, I realized I don't know that I'd ever gone more than an hour without eating in my entire life before that time. I get hungry. And what I need you to understand, and one of the things that fasting can teach us is that your spirit is the same. Your spirit can't be fed once a week and be strong and healthy. If you come to church once a a week and that's the only time you're praying, worshiping, and receiving the word of God, you will not have strength in your spirit to fight against your flesh. 
You've got to be feeding it just like you feed your body every day. You've got to feed your spirit every day. And I think every single day we need to feed our spirit in three different ways. Uh, first, I think you've got to feed your spirit through the power of praise and worship. Um, I love coming in here. My, one of my highlights of the week is coming in here on Sunday morning with this incredible worship team leading us into the presence and the power of God. I love it. It is not the only time I worship every week. I wake up every morning and worship. I, I um, believe in this principle of the first and try to give God the first part of every day. The first part of, not give him the first of everything, but the first part of every day. Now, I know we've all got different schedules. Some of you guys are third shift workers, or some of you guys, you've got, you got to be to work at five, or some of you have toddlers, and it does not matter how early you get up, they will wake up first. They will detect your presence no matter where you are hiding with the Lord. They'll find you. <laughs> I know that that's our reality. For many of us, it's hard to just go take an hour to give God every day. I think every day you need to pray, you need to worship, and you need to study the Word of God. And you may have to figure out the best times to have time for all of that, but no matter when you do it, I think the first thing to enter into your ears, enter into your mind every day, needs to be praise and worship. Because the enemy is trying to fill your flesh first. He wants you to see that terrible, terrifying news article that you got a notification for in the middle of the night. He wants you to see that email from work that's going to stress you out for the rest of the day until you've responded to it. He wants you to get on social media so that he can fill you up in everything your flesh desires. He wants those to be the first things you consume. But I am telling you right now that if you will give the very first thing you consume to the Spirit of God... The Spirit will have a greater strength and power and authority within you for the rest of the day. And so nothing comes into my ears or my eyes until I have taken it. I go into my bathroom, and I have bathroom praise, you guys. I'm not going to tell you where or what I'm doing in the bathroom while I'm praising. That's personal. But what I am going to tell you is that I am singing out loud to my favorite worship song, off-key and in a posture of praise, every morning in my bath. I got in trouble for this this week. Israel said, I took a shower after you today, and there was no hot water and it's because I had turned the shower on before and then I went in my closet and praised and it was just running. Don't do that. Be conservative of the water, okay? Other people need it. Uh, first thing I do is I worship and uh, this week I've been singing more than able every single morning and just praising God. I love all hail King Jesus. I love what a beautiful name. I always, for my first worship moment every day, I want it to be a song that is entirely focused and fixated on God and I'm bringing him praise and I think that's important. And then the second thing that I do is I, 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 I follow a reading plan called the Bible in One Year app. Now, you need to study scripture because you need to hear from God. You need to hear from God. You need to hear from him every day and you need to speak to him every day. You know that in order to have a relationship, you have to have communication. That you can't have a relationship without communication. That if you never talk to your spouse, then you're not going to have a very good relationship with your spouse. A little bit of free marriage advice for you right now. Okay? If you have a girlfriend in another state and you never talk to that girlfriend, you're lying to your friends. Okay? You've got to have communication in order to have relationships. Relationship. Communication with God comes through prayer and the study of Scripture. And so I study Scripture with a, an app. Uh, it's so easy now because you can just download an app and you can pick a plan and you can read it every day. And you can pick a plan and you can read it every day. And you can pick a plan and you can read it every day. And you can pick a plan 
And then you can just read it every day. And I, and I download one called the Bible in One Year app. Nicky Gumbel does a, he's a pastor in the United Kingdom. And I love listening to him speak because he's so interesting because of the way he talks. And Nikki, uh, Pastor Nicky Gumbel will write an incredible devotion. And I'm ADHD, so I like variety. There's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs every day that I get to consume. But in the mornings, I don't always do that first thing when I wake up because my kids are coming and I got to get them to school. And so what I'll do is read on the Bible app, which is called the Bible app, and you can find it by typing in the Bible app to the app store. Uh, They do a verse of the day every day. I just look at that verse of the day, and I meditate on it while I worship, and then I say a simple prayer to God to start my day. Heavenly Father, everything that I am today, I give it to you. I ask that you would give me wisdom and discernment and the ability to just bring you into every conversation that I have today, God. All the gifts that I've got today, I just lay them down at your feet. Use me, Heavenly Father. Use me today. I am yours. And then I just go into my day. Now, I take time to do all the scripture and prayer at other times to work for me. But I think it's very important that I feed the spirit first. Feed the spirit first. Fasting is a powerful tool in your battle against the flesh. Because like we have been saying, when we fast, we are strengthening the spirit and we are are starving the flesh. I believe fasting is one of the best tools we have to help us find freedom from sin. Because your sin has made you a slave to your desires and your wants. And what you think brings you joy, but what really only brings you longing and pain. When we fast, we say no to an actual physical need in order to say yes to a very real spiritual need. And if we can master our physical need, hunger, then we can also master the things that our our flesh presents as needs. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. I believe you cultivate that fruit through fasting. If you have sin and addiction in your life and you want to break free, I believe that having a strong spiritual discipline of fasting will unlock the Holy Spirit gift of self-control you need to get through those things. If you haven't been fasting with us, join us. Starve the flesh, feed the spirit. Gain control over your flesh, strengthen your spirit. Here's one more thing that we can do that will help us find freedom, and that is join or lead a small group. Relationships are the key to finding freedom. We were created to do all of this together. Here's good news for you today. God has called you to find freedom, but he's not called you to do it on your own. He's given you the power of his Holy Spirit, and he's given you the people sitting around you in this room, the power of the body of Christ, the local church working together, We were created to go through life together, to find freedom together, to heal together, to mourn together, to fight for our futures together. You gotta get in a deeper community with somebody else. You gotta involve other people in this process. That tendency that you have to recoil and try to deal with hard things all on your own, that is not from God, that's from the enemy. The enemy wants us to remain isolated. He knows there's bondage in isolation, but there's freedom in community. Now, community is really hard, really hard, because people are people. Sometimes you let your guard down and you get hurt. Sometimes you trust 
and you face betrayal. And when that happens, we build walls around ourselves. When we decide we may never let somebody in like that again. But you have to. You have to. Because even with this risk, the risk of getting hurt, it's worth it. So when you get hurt, find a way to heal and then do it again. And then if you get hurt again, take time to heal and then do it again. And if you get hurt again, take time to heal and do it again because the people of God are worth fighting for. James says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. It's through community that we find healing. It's through vulnerability that we find freedom. And the best place for you to start building that community is here within the context of the church. By joining the dream team, you can build real, lasting community. When we serve together, we make a bond together. And when it comes to finding freedom, I believe that the greatest place, the best outlet for us to get vulnerable, to take the mask off and to begin to really heal is in the context of our small groups. Our small groups aren't magical. There's no secret ritual happening in there that changes life. It's one conversation at a time. It's tearing down the walls we build brick by brick, conversation by conversation. It's letting people into places we've never let them into before. In our small groups, you can find intentional environments where we actually get to know each other, where we learn to trust each other, where we ask hard questions together, where we study God's word together, and where we begin to truly get vulnerable together. One of our core values is that vulnerability is our strength. We believe the more vulnerable we are, the stronger we will become. We start to open up about what's going on in our lives, and then we help each other. We lead each other. We pray for each other. And sometimes we just listen to each other. And over the course of time and with a lot of intentional work, we begin to find freedom in the context of this community. We have a core value here that says initiative is our obligation. And that applies to how we build community and find freedom. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to be open and vulnerable in your group. It's not really something that's common or easy or normal for us as people. We wall, we protect, we present a false version of ourselves that we think you might want to see. But I'm telling you right now that in this church and in the communities that exist out of this space, we're not interested in who you are trying to tell us you are. We're interested in who you really are. We don't need to know the wall that you've built to protect yourself from this world. We want to know who you are in Christ Jesus and what he wants to do in you. And the only way we're going to get to the truth of that matter is by getting vulnerable with each other. So share your life with others. Share burdens with each other. Hold each other up. Find freedom together. In our small groups, you can find freedoms. In our small groups, the spirit of the Lord is present and strengthened within us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom for you. Whatever it is you feel stuck in, whatever 
you feel trapped in, whatever it feels like is holding you back from discovering your purpose, from living in the purpose of your creation, there is freedom for you. If you've been told there is never freedom for you, there is freedom for you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you know God, the Spirit of the Lord lives within you. And Jesus tells us that wherever two or more of us gather, He is there with us. When I come together with you, the Spirit in me is the same Spirit in you. And when we come together, that Spirit grows in strength. The presence grows in its palpability. And together we can find freedom. Look at the next verse. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into this image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what it means to find find freedom. And once you do, once you begin to find freedom, you have now a job to do. You've got to tell others what you have found. We have to help others find what we have found. When I make it over the edge, I turn around and help whoever is behind me. What I have been through uniquely equips me to help others go through the same things. I know your pain is hard and you would rather move on like it never happened. You'd rather forget about it. You'd rather put it in your past. But church, we can't just ignore the things that God has done in us because they were uncomfortable. Because there is somebody else in this room going through something just as uncomfortable and they feel absolutely alone in it and our role as the church is to make sure that nobody fights alone Jesus said in his message to the church uh, in Isaiah 61 he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And this is interesting because Isaiah 61 goes through all these things that Christ would do. It says, he says, I will do these things. He is, he, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do these things, to release the captives from their prisons, to break the chains that are binding us up, to put back together the broken hearts, to bring joy where there was mourning. And then there's a change in the verse. A change happens. It now directs to those people whose hearts were broken but have been mended. And he says that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That God would set them in a place of prominence as a vision of strength for people to see what he can do. And then they shall be, that they will be glory that he may be sorry that they shall build up the ancient ruins that they shall raise up the former devastations they shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations god would use you to rebuild the things that have been broken God would use you to step in the way of generational sin. God would use you to find others who are just as broken as you once were and help put them back together. That is why we have to be on mission as a church to lead people to find freedom because God has done a work in your heart and in your life and his expectation of you is that you would use that work to help him do the same thing in others. Join us in this mission. Once we are free, we help others get free. It's our privilege. It's our obligation. 
sign up to lead a small group today. When we started this church, we started with something called family dinners. They were simple and so was the concept. We see Jesus doing a lot of his life and his ministry around a table. This semester, so will we. When we started our church, the, the going knowledge was don't start small groups in your church until your church is six months old. And we just said that doesn't feel like our heart. We, we want it to be about community. And so six months before we held services, we started having small groups. And those small groups were simple. We weren't trying to do a lot. We just said, we believe power exists around the table together. And so we'll have these family dinners. And we began to have these family dinners and life change and transformation began in this church before we ever had Sunday morning services. See, we believe that lives change in circles, not in rows. That we've got to get into, into a, a context of community in order to see freedom starting to take root in our lives. I would love for you to consider inviting people to your table this semester. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have it all together. Just be on mission with us. You don't even have to cook all the food. Have a potluck and you just bring the Tostitos and salsa, okay? Tell everybody to bring some food. Everybody's been to a potluck where somebody's showing up with the Tostitos and salsa. It could be you. Imagine. Host one of these groups and just invite people to your table so that freedom can happen in your home. I believe you can do this. I believe you are equipped for it. Uh, we're hosting free market groups this semester, so whatever you want to host, we just want to see a lot of dinner groups getting together. And we're also going to pick up practicing the way our heavy discipleship focus groups again next semester. We're not abandoning that. And if you want to lead one of those groups, you can. We'll resource you. But I just want to ask you to lead a family dinner this semester. Let's find freedom and let's lead others to do it together. Now, if you're in here today and you're ready to know God so that you can have access to all of these things that you need to find freedom, it just begins with a conversation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for all the mistakes that I've made. Forgive me for hiding. I want to be free. I believe that you are who you say you are. Waymaker, chain breaker. I believe that you have done these incredible sacrifices, these incredible gifts that I might be free. So all that I am from this day on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.